Now, OFAC found that Microsoft demonstrated a reckless disregard for the sanctions because of this seven-year period, that there was more than $12 million worth of software and services exported through their system to uh, blocked persons in blocked jurisdictions. The violations were not isolated or atypical in nature, and Microsoft had reason to know that such conduct was occurring. Now, OFAC said there was no record evidence that persons in Microsoft's U.S. offices or management were aware of the violations. Ultimately, they were discovered as a result of self-initiated look-back, after which it conducted a comprehensive root cause investigation. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkoff. Well, hello, everyone. Michael Volkoff here, and we're going to talk about today really significant OFAC enforcement action involving Microsoft, the global software company. And Microsoft paid $2.9 million for violations of multiple sanctions programs. Now, the violation itself is interesting, violations and how it came about. But what I really was intrigued by were the remedial actions that Microsoft took which also gives us some indication of best practices, but also when you have some resources and can dedicate them, what you can do in the sanctions areas in terms of compliance. So take a good look at the decision. We'll go over the remediation steps and what is really important there. But let's start with OFAC announced only one settlement in the first three months of 2023. That's understandable given how much time and effort they have to put into the Russia sanctions program in terms of implementing it, updating it. The situation changed, however, in the first week of April. OFAC announced two enforcement actions, major action against Microsoft and another against Uphold HQ, a U.S. money service business. So OFAC is starting to ramp up on its time and its time and effort here. So Microsoft agreed to pay a little bit more than $2.9 million for illegal exports of services and software to sanctioned jurisdictions, including SDNs, in violation of OFAC's Cuba, Iran, Syria, and Russia-related sanctions programs. Now, most of the violations involve prohibited Russian entities or persons located in the Crimea region of Ukraine. And Microsoft failed to identify and prevent the use of its products by prohibited parties. They voluntarily disclosed the conduct, but OFAC also cited Microsoft's quote-unquote significant remedial measures, which we're going to talk about as well. OFAC and the Bureau of Industry and Security of the Department of Commerce jointly conducted the investigation and reached a joint resolution with overlapping fines and credits that went back and forth. So let's talk about the conduct, get that, where Microsoft ran afoul, and it was over seven years, which is kind of surprising. Between July 2012 and April 2019, Microsoft committed 1,339 transactions in violation of multiple sanctions programs stemming from the sale of software licenses, 
activated software licenses and or provided related services from servers and systems located in the U.S. and Ireland to SDNs, blocked persons, and other end users located in Cuba, Iran, Syria, Russia, and the Crimea region of the Ukraine. The total value of these sales and services was over $12 million. Now, Microsoft's violations occurred in the context of its volume licensing sales and incentive programs, under which Microsoft engaged with third-party distributors and resellers, quite typical of software markets, to sell Microsoft software products. In Russia, among other sales programs, Microsoft employed an indirect resale model through third-party licensing partners, LSPs. And they worked with the LSPs to develop sales leads and negotiate bulk sales agreements with end customers, while the LSP and the end customer would negotiate the final sales price and sign a commercial supply agreement. Microsoft's Ireland's subsidiary billed the LSPs annually for licenses that it supplied, and the LSPs would separately bill and collect payment from end users. Now, an end customer, and this will sound familiar to all of us because if we used Microsoft software, it goes like this. We would download or otherwise access a copy of the software, install the software, and activate the product using a product key. The end customer could then access, activate, and manage its software for renewals, updates, and enhancements. Now, the process of facilitating Microsoft software downloads, license activations, product key verifications, and subsequent usages relied at least in part on a U.S.-based server system, which was managed by personnel in the United States or third countries. Similarly, end customers that were blocked pursuant to the Ukraine sanctions program benefited from certain services processed through Microsoft's U.S.-based servers and systems. Now, when Microsoft supported these third-party sales to prohibited parties, they provided prohibited software and services to SDNs and end customers in sanctioned jurisdictions. And the violations occurred, and the root cause really was because Microsoft did not have complete or accurate information on the identities of the end customers for Microsoft's products. For example, in certain volume licensing programs involving sales by intermediaries, Microsoft was not provided, nor did it otherwise obtain, complete or accurate information on the ultimate end customers. At times, Microsoft Russia employees also appeared to have intentionally circumvented Microsoft screening controls to prevent other Microsoft affiliates from knowing the identity of the ultimate end customers. Now, in addition, during the time period in which these violations occurred, there were shortcomings in Microsoft's restricted party screening. In some instances, for example, when Microsoft was made aware of the end customer by the distributor or reseller, Microsoft's restricted party screening architecture did not aggregate information known to Microsoft, such as an address, name, tax identification number, across its databases to identify SDNs or blocked persons. In a number of cases, Microsoft also failed to timely screen and evaluate pre-existing customers following changes to OFAC's lists and implement timely corrective measures. Further, Microsoft's screening against restricted party lists not identify blocked parties not specifically listed on the SDN list, but owned 50% or more by SDNs, 
Or do they have the ability to screen for Cyrillic or Chinese names, even though many customers in Russia and China supplied order and customer information in their native writing scripts? These failures, which also included missing common variations of the restricted parties' names, resulted in Microsoft engaging in ongoing business relationships with SDNs or blocked persons. So in total, Microsoft committed 54 violations of the Cuban sanctions program, 30 of the Iran sanctions program, three of the Syrian sanctions program, and 1,252 violations of the Ukraine-Russia sanctions program. Now, this settlement also included, and OFAC really cited and relied on the significant remedial measures. And that's why I wanted to take a little bit more time to go through those because they are really some interesting ideas in terms of how Microsoft overcame what was a seven-year sort of period of violations of the sanctions program, particularly in Russia. Now, OFAC found that Microsoft demonstrated a reckless disregard for the sanctions because of this seven-year period, that there was more than $12 million worth of software and services exported through their system to uh, blocked persons and blocked jurisdictions. The violations were not isolated or atypical in nature, and Microsoft had reason to know that such conduct was occurring. Now, OFAC said there was no record evidence that persons in Microsoft's U.S. offices or management were aware of the violations. Ultimately, they were discovered as a result of self-initiated look-back, after which it conducted a comprehensive root cause investigation. So, specifically, Microsoft conducted a retrospective review of thousands of past transactions, engaged in extensive ownership research and data analysis, and engaged a team of more than 20 Russian-speaking attorneys to analyze relevant correspondence and conducted numerous interviews. Now, Microsoft terminated the accounts of the SDNs or blocked persons and deactivated the license keys. Further, Microsoft updated its suspension and shutdown procedures to disable access to its products and services when a sanctioned party is discovered. Upon discovering the apparent violations or the violations themselves, Microsoft, like I said, undertook significant remedial measures. Let's go through them. First, they enhanced their trade compliance program, which originally was developed based on a risk assessment undertaken before OFAC's guidance on compliance programs. They improved the governance structure of its sanctions compliance program and increased its resources, including enhancements to its screening resources, technology, and methodology. They require that Russian service contracts now be cleared by Microsoft's high-risk deal desk a function that provides additional compliance oversight. The process further required pre-contract review of various risk factors, including a detailed review of the ultimate end customer assessment of the deal structure to identify the beneficiary of Microsoft's services and an internal analysis of any existing trade or sanctions restrictions. Microsoft also let go a number of its resellers and reduced the overall size of its channel partners and the function into Russia as well. They also improved the methods by which it researches potential sanctions matches. And here, this was interesting. They modified the procedures to respond to matches and expanded the scope and volume of data screened. For example, Microsoft deployed a multidisciplinary internal investigation team 
to aid its contractors and full-time employees in reviewing and researching restricted party hits. Collectively, the investigative team members are fluent and are proficient in 16 foreign languages, including Russian, Chinese, Farsi, and Arabic. So the team researches corporate organizational documents, physical and email addresses, and various other open source materials to identify SDNs or block persons, and has shared its findings with a provider of commercial restrictive party screening lists, helping to enhance the utility of those lists for even other subscribers. They also deployed detailed sanctions compliance training for employees and jurisdictions, and they adopted a new, and if you want to call it this, new three lines of defense model. I don't really think it's a new model. I mean, we all know about the three lines of defense, but for Microsoft, they tailored it to their own risk profile. And under the first line of defense, Microsoft personnel responsible for sales transactions are tasked with day-to-day responsibility for ensuring compliance with support from Microsoft's trade and legal functions. The second line of defense consists of oversight of the first line by Microsoft's legal compliance, high-risk financial integrity, and tax and trade units, which respond to questions or escalated issues as they arise and conduct quarterly testing. Now, these compliance personnel are independent of the sales and marketing functions whose compliance they oversee and report directly to Microsoft's senior management. And the third line of defense consists of Microsoft's internal audit team. Now, OFAC explained that the Microsoft settlement reflects that, quote, the increased use of Internet-based computing and global demand for software applications has expanded the potential user base of technology, software, or services exported from the United States. Companies with sophisticated technology operations and a global customer base should ensure that their sanctions compliance controls remain commensurate with that risk and leverage an appropriate technological compliance solutions. Such companies should also consider conducting a holistic risk assessment to identify and remediate instances where the company may directly or indirectly engage with OFAC-prohibited persons, parties, countries, or regions. Such an assessment is particularly important for companies operating in or exposed to high-risk jurisdictions. OFAC further stated the action, quote, highlights the importance of companies conducting business through foreign-based subsidiaries, distributors, and resellers having sufficient visibility into end-users into which they may have an ongoing relationship, including through the provision of services after an initial sale. In light of Microsoft's extensive foreign operations, OFAC noted that the settlement further emphasizes the importance of ensuring a company's employees, including employees located in foreign jurisdictions, adhere to the company's sanctions compliance program. By engaging in periodic auditing, a company may promptly identify instances where employees have attempted to circumvent internal policies and procedures. Testing or auditing, whether conducted on a specific element of a compliance program or enterprise-wide level, are important tools to ensure that the program is working as designed and weaknesses are promptly remediated. Finally, OFAC observed that the settlement reflects, quote, the persistent efforts of actors in the Russian Federation to evade U.S. sanctions. Sanctioned Russian enterprises may use a variety of means, including obscuring the identity of actual end-users 
to circumvent U.S. restrictions. All persons continuing to engage in business with Russia should be aware of such evasion techniques and associated red flags. Well, a really interesting enforcement action. Lots of good suggestions there. The multidisciplinary team and the sort of robust review of potential hits or red flags in the screening technology process was particularly interesting to me in terms of dedicating more resources to resolving those red flags after a further investigation. So all in all, a pretty interesting action by OFAC with lots of good guidance there and suggestions for your own sanctions compliance program. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week for another episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com. 